Well, I'm going to try something different this morning. I'm going to preach from this stool. I had knee surgery on Tuesday, and uh, he told me it went well. Of course, I was under that gas, and I don't remember a lot. My wife told me I confessed some things to her when I got back. I hope they were good, but you'll have to wait a couple weeks to ask her. But it was what they call orthoscopic surgery, and he said I should be jogging in three weeks. But uh, I'm going to take it a little easy today. Well, we've got a group of 19 people that are in India. How would you like to have flown with your flying and layovers 36 hours to get somewhere? I bet they were ready to go to bed. But anyway, they're there, and they're going to be there for a week, so make sure you pray for them. It was real cool last night in our church service, just before service, I, I looked on a British Airways has a, uh, I guess it's called a live time or flight time or something app, and you could see where the airplane was going. And, you know, like 10 hours to get from Dallas to London and 10 hours to get from London to uh, southern India. But anyway, you could see how they're playing. It, it went across the Mediterranean, it went across Turkey, Syria, right across Iraq, paralleling Iran, you know, just right down towards India. But uh, they're, they're doing what Jesus told us to do, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So that's what Church on the Rock is about, and thanks for helping be a part of that. What else can I tell you? Oh, uh, this is a real easy church to get involved in and find a place of ministry. Uh, our goal for you is, God's goal for you, is to get in a place of significance where you can make a difference. And I find that one of the most effective ways to do that is in a small group setting. And we're kicking off our new small group session just a couple of weeks. Uh, as long as you're a dedicated Christian, as you're committed to your church, and you have gone through our little simple connect class for membership on Wednesday nights, you can lead a small group. I'll teach you how to do it personally. It's my passion. I'm going to have an interest meeting this Wednesday night at 5.30. If you're just curious and like to come check it out, we'll give you all the resources you need. We'll help you get a partner. Uh, we'll work at host homes and things. And uh, anyway, whether you do it once a week or once a month, twice a month, I would encourage lots of you, if you have an interest and uh, you want to make a difference in people's lives, that may be a wonderful opportunity. But it's called our life groups, and I'll do an interest meeting this Wednesday at 5.30 in uh, the upstairs area. Well, with that, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philemon. A little simple book, one chapter book. It's right before Hebrews. It was one of the books in our Bible reading. We do a, uh, hopefully, a church Bible reading together where we encourage you to read your Bible chapter or two a day. And uh, we've got actually a little uh, Bible guide. If you'd like one, they're free. I'd like to give you one. Ushers, help us out here. If you want a little Bible reading guide, uh, lift your hand. We'll get one for you, your kids, husband, anyone that wants one. And uh, just a way where you can read the Bible along with us. And I do a lot of my preaching out of that guide. So just lift your hands and help us out there. I think the ushers stepped out, but we'll have some people in the back. So they'll uh, keep their hands lifted. May I'll help us out there. And we've got several people lifting their hands and, and they'll, they'll put one right in your, your hand. And we're going to start uh, in the book of Philemon, but uh, I've got a little video to set this up. It's real short, but uh, I think, it'll, I think it'll, uh, you'll get a life out of it. Well, you have to be married to understand that. Seat up, seat down. I'm sure he will figure it out. The question is, what will he do when he figures it out? When he realizes liquid nails are holding down the toilet seat. But I have a bigger question for you. What do you do when someone wrongs you? What do you do when someone hurts your feelings? What do you do when someone lies to you, when they let you down, when they take advantage of you? Uh, what do you do when someone causes you pain and heartache? And it's not just once, it's on a continual basis. Because what I'm talking about this morning is conflict. Can you say conflict? It happens all the time. And how many can say, I've got my share? 
I'll give some away. I mean, if you're just a human being, if you're living on this earth, you're going to have conflict with people. I mean, you're going to have problems, you're going to have pressures, you're going to butt heads. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about conflict. And uh, we, I want to look in the Scripture this morning, and I think there'll be something for everybody, because I can tell you this, you're either in conflict today or you'll probably be in some tomorrow. It may be with the person you're married to. It may be someone in this church. It may be something that happened to you 10 years ago, and you're still caring in your heart. It may be someone that pulls in front of you in traffic. You'll never meet them. But how many know conflict is all around us? It's going on all the time. There's a right way to deal with it and a wrong way to deal with it. How many know if you deal with it the wrong way, it's going to cause problems that replicate themselves. If you deal with it the right way, you get yourself kind of cleansed on the inside. But the big thing is you're more apt to work towards what the Bible calls reconciliation or getting along. And it's a powerful scripture. Philemon chapter 9, we're going to look at. Let me kind of summarize about seven verses. And you'll notice oftentimes when I look at longer passages in the Bible, I don't read every word. It's not to minimize portions of the Bible, but, you know, it just takes time. And uh, I'm trying to look at the key central portions of different scriptures. I pick a number of different translations of the Bible. Uh, if I'm looking for absolute accuracy, I tend to go with the English Standard Version or use the original languages. But I'm, what I'm looking for when I speak to you is just to make the Bible understandable. And uh, we'll use a lot of different translations in that process. Philemon chapter 1 verse 9. Now Paul has written this letter. Paul's the apostle and there's really three key people in this, in this book. He's writing to a man named Philemon. He was a Christian. He lived in the area of Colossae and he was a slave owner. And, and in their day, Roman day, that was just a part of the, of the culture. Two-thirds of the people in the Roman era were literally slaves. Uh, not as we picture in America, uh, in America's uh, tragic past, but uh, if a country were to come and take over another one, you might be a doctor, a lawyer, an architect, and they would come and make you a slave just like they would a common laborer. You would give up a lot of your rights. Well, a slave named Onesimus, if you're looking for a name for your child, there's a unique one. But Onesimus had run away. Likely he had stolen money from Philemon and run away. And lo and behold, he meets Paul in Rome, and Paul leads him to Christ. And now they're both Christians, but there is a conflict between Onesimus and Philemon. So he writes the letter to the slave owner. He says, Consider this as a request from me. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. Now, he's not a child biologically, but spiritually. Onesimus had become a Christian. And here's the thing, when Jesus comes in the relationship, when the Holy Spirit is involved in people's lives, everything is open to positive change. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. In other words, because he stole, and he stole money and he ran away. But now he's very useful to both of us. Verse 12, I'm sending him back to you. And verse 15, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so you can have him back forever. In other words, when he ran away from you, there was conflict. But now, in the midst of reconciliation, now that, that Christ has come in this world, everybody is going to hopefully get along, and you'll be in relationship for, forever. Because listen to verse 16. He's more than a slave. He's also a beloved brother. Now, this is a powerful, powerful truth about two men who were separated from each other. One had clearly done wrong. And we're going to look at this passage through the eyes of three people because I guarantee you, you're going to be able to relate to one or all three of these people today and in the future relationships you're in. But we're going to look at this story from the eyes of Onesimus, the person who had done something wrong. In other words, you're the one in error in the relationship. You stole money, you ran away. The second perspective we'll take is the one of Philemon. 
Now, this is a person that has had wrong done to them. And how many can say, I've had a lot of wrong done to me in my life? Yeah, it's just out there in the world. I mean, you don't have to be out there very long. If you're, if you're in the nursery today, I guarantee you somebody's probably going to take something away from your baby in that nursery. I mean, it just is there. I mean, there are villains all over this world. They want a toy, they take it. You know, it gets worse when you get older. But people hurt you. And guess what? Now, what are you going to do? If you're, you've got legal rights here if you're Philemon. I mean, this guy belongs to you. You can exact the, the uh, letter of the law. You have lost. You're owed something. Now, you can either punish him, stay offended, or you can forgive and reconcile. And this is the person that's really in the driver's seat, the one that's been done wrong. And lastly, we'll look at the eyes of Paul. Paul was a peacemaker. Can you say peacemaker? He was literally a third party. And how many know sometimes it takes a third party to help us get along? It takes someone coming in to basically state the obvious. And all they have to do is to state what you feel, what happened, and what's going on. And before you know it, restoration can take place. Now, this is a message I can virtually guarantee you the Holy Spirit will speak to you about a relationship that you're in or something that's happened in the past. I don't intend to present this as a, if you do step one, two, three, then everything is going to be great and, and, and life is going to be perfect. Here's what I know about relationships. Relationships are complicated. Relationships involve pain. And even though I may want to reconcile to you, if you don't want to reconcile to me, we've still got a problem. I can't force you to get along. You guys got real quiet on me. I can't force you to do the right thing. I can't force you to forgive me. I can extend my hand to you and, and, and offer an apology, but unless you receive it, unless you release me, unless you let me go, we still have a conflict. But guess what? The Holy Spirit will show us what to do. I can't be responsible for you, but I can be responsible for myself. So let's explore this passage together as we talk about broken relationships. And there's a truth that I want to communicate to you that is, offers tremendous hope for the Christian. And that is that the power of the gospel has the potential to transform broken relationships. See, the power of the gospel is not just to get people to heaven, but it is by the Holy Spirit in our lives, He can fix broken relationships. He can heal you from pain that you have carried for, you know, 10 or 15 years. You might have gone through the pain of a tragic divorce. Your father could have abandoned you as a child. I, I mean, life is filled with pain. You could have been raped in your life, or you could have wit witnessed a violent murder. You could have spent time in prison for a crime you didn't commit. All this pain that we accumulate, there's the power of transformation in Christ and God can do something to fix what's broken. Aren't you glad of that? Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. We're going we're gonna to have some fun this morning as we, as we see ourselves in the mirror of the Scripture. Go to Romans chapter 12. Let me first kind of paint a broad picture because there's at least four different responses you can have to conflict and three of them are not good. Conflict, you can respond in a number of ways. And the first one is this most basic primal response is to get even. It is revenge. It is to punish you. You hurt me? How did you know that? It just kind of flowed out of you. I mean, you just reverted back to your childhood, you know, and your mother's sitting there and she's got the two of you by the nap of the neck and she's, why did you hit him? Well, there you go. So that's human nature. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Can I tell you, the Bible is pretty much against that response. Romans 12, 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. That's not a suggestion. It's a command. Don't repay evil for evil. But notice this next phrase, and he's speaking to Christians. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
In other words, you have an opportunity to respond in a Christ-honoring way that will somehow bring the gospel, bring the love of God, open a door of grace for God to move in the relationship. So God wants us to be very deliberate, not to respond tit for tat, but there can be a spirit-led response that can open the hearts of people. If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, unfortunately, let me say with this, you cannot force people to get along. You cannot force people to live at peace with you. But yet you can do your part. Punch your neighbor and say, you can do your part. Even if they're not doing theirs, you can endeavor to live peaceably with people. It is a choice. But then again, the Scripture reiterates, Beloved, and say it with me, never avenge yourselves. Now that's a pretty straightforward scripture. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. That's scary. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Which means the Lord is looking out for you. He's remembering these things. But to the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy's hungry, what are you to do? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Then you say, well, there it goes. I'm going to send you all the hair off that guy's head. No, that's not what it's talking about. It is somehow referring to a sense of conviction, a sense of, of, of God speaking to that person's heart. And by your right response, by your godly response to an ungodly situation, by your kindness in response to their evil actions, God can speak to them. And isn't that the whole goal of our life is to influence as many people as we can for Christ? Now, the Scripture is not teaching that you can't defend yourself. The Scripture is not teaching, you know, if somebody bangs you, you're supposed to just let them beat. No, it's not teaching that. It's not teaching that you don't have uh, even civil rights. And I'm going to share some personal stories today from my life. I don't suggest I've always made the right choices, but I've been some th through some things just like you. Uh, when I lived in California a number of years ago, uh, we were remodeling a house and we were adding a bedroom to it, and uh, we had found this contractor that was supposedly a, a Christian. How many know the fish on the card doesn't always guarantee that it's going to be right? Well, lo and behold, I was young, and uh, he was, you know, one of these kind of pressure people, and I gave him a third progress payment, and he kind of said sayonara and, and went to Canada. So here he had like $7,000 of my money, and he leaves, and I found out that he has bills over town that he didn't pay, and it was a fairly large project. So now I am having to kind of do as much of the work as I can myself. I'm having to come up with more money, and literally one morning at 3 in the morning, I'm under my house with a torch trying to take off the copper pipes because they'd used the wrong kind of solder. I think it was lead-based solder, and uh, this, the inspector wouldn't approve it. So I, I almost burned my house down. It's 3 in the morning. Hot solder's falling on me, and I am not praising that guy's name. You understand what I'm talking about? And I was, I, I wanted to hurt that man. I wanted to get even. I wanted to find me a lawyer and go after him. Now, I didn't find a lawyer that day, but I'll tell you, after about three or four months, as I was praying what I was supposed to do, I had to pray through the hostility of it so I couldn't just to attack him. It had to be more than just money. But I found out over time as I began to make inquiry, I was not the first person he did this to. See, he finally came back around and he said basically, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and since we're both Christians, you know, uh, you, know you, you don't need to sue me or anything. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And I found out that I was the third person that he'd done this to. Not the first one the third person that he'd done this to. And then I realized this was not just about me and a couple bucks. This was about him. Not only had he taken from my family, this was a repetitive deal in this guy's life, and I felt the thing to do was to stop him. But, and I just signed a little form with the county, whatever, and before you know it, they've got him paying a couple hundred dollars a month. 
Well, it's got to be bigger than money, though, and it can't be just because you're angry or hurt. It's got to be a spirit-directed response. So I hope mine was the right response, and I don't want to paint a picture this morning that you don't have rights and you can't stand up for yourself, but on the other hand, you have to let this Scripture guide your life, that you are not in hostility or vengeance repaying someone evil for evil. Tell your neighbor he's preaching good this morning. Now, let me give you another bad response. That's not a good response is revenge. Another bad response is this. This is the most frequent in America today. Write them off, divorce, forget, I'm out of here, I quit. This is what most people do. BFF on one day and can't stand you tomorrow. Well, hate your guts. H-Y-G. BFF, that's best friends forever one day and H-Y-G the next day. Best friends forever, hate your guts, okay? You, you'll catch that. You even have the bracelets, one on each hand. The BFF one and the H-Y-G one. Hate your guts. That's what the world, that's what we do. We divorce, we don't like our spouse, we're out of here. We don't like our job, we quit. We don't like our church, we find another one. And you're welcome with open arms. That's not a good response. Because if you have a conflict, if it's not resolved, it can follow you the rest of your life. You go through the pain of a divorce, if you don't work through the issues that are behind it, ten years later at family reunions, you're dropping the kids off and you're still cursing. I'm telling you, just walking away and quitting and thinking that that resolves it, that doesn't take care of it. A third one that flows from that, you can become bitter, you can close your spirit, you can shove your anger on the inside of you. This is particularly if you're a vulnerable person. If a stronger person, a richer person, uh, the person in power, uh, uh, if you're being controlled in some way and, and you, for whatever reason, don't, don't you know, respond in some overt way, you just push it inside and it will bubble out of you. I can promise you, you know bitter people who used to be fun-loving people, but because of the pain of life, they turned bitter and angry. It affected their personality because they didn't work through it in the right way. Now, let me give you several wonderful words. You can even look at this as a formula that opens a door to the grace of God if you will apply the Bible, see, in these conflicts and relationships. Ideally, the relationship's restored, but even if it's not restored, it takes the junk off of you. Now, the words we're talking about are words like, uh, for reconciliation, are words like repentance, which means change, confession, uh, forgiveness, and if you would even do a little formula, if you have some confession, some repentance and forgiveness, I can guarantee you, you'll get reconciliation. And how many know that's God's best plan, that relationships are reconciled? It doesn't mean that you, you, know, you might not remarry the person that you divorced, but the anger and hostility and the edge is not there any longer because you have worked through it in a biblical fashion. Now let's explore that today. And I want to remind you of that central truth we're looking at is the gospel has the power to transform relationships. Because here we go. We've got Philemon who, who, who has been offended. And we've got Onesimus who hurt him, who wronged him and ran away, but now they're brothers. It doesn't dissolve the master-slave relationship. It doesn't undo the past. But what it does, when Christ comes in the relationship, you have the same Holy Spirit in you that I have living in me. And how many know if two Christians in particular have a conflict, how many know God can always help us work through that thing? So let's, explore, let's take the next 20 minutes, and I want to look at this passage through the eyes of one of three people. I want to look at through the eyes of the person who's done wrong, Onesimus. Or then I want to look at it through the eyes of the person who's been done wrong, Philemon. And lastly, I want to look at through the eyes of Paul, who was a peacemaker. 
Now, Proverbs 28, we may start there as we talk about Onesimus the offender. Again, he'd done really bad. He'd stolen. He'd run away. And uh, he was out there. But now he becomes a Christian. Now, for him, if you're in this case, if you do wrong, if you're the person that's done wrong, what the Bible tells you to do is very clear. This is the easiest of the three if you'll just do it. See, if you're the person in the wrong, Proverbs 28, 13, it says people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but he who does what? Confess and forsakes will find, guess what? Mercy. Yeah, that's a scripture, Proverbs 28, 13. If you confess and turn from it, uh, that you'll find mercy. Now, let me give you three words that are worth writing down if you've done wrong. If you're the one in the gap, the first word is the word confession. It simply means admit you're wrong. That's what you try to get your kids to do. Again, you got them in the back of the net. Who did what? And you try to figure it out. And finally, somebody says, I did. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I'll forgive. Say it like you mean it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. How many know that same prescription that worked for mom will work for us? It is the starting place. But the problem is mom is not going to have you by the, you know, the back of the head any longer. But if you want to restore a relationship, if you've been in the wrong, look at me now. The most powerful thing you can do is admit it. I don't care if it's a relationship between a coach and a player, between a husband and a wife. There's something powerful when you will admit that you were wrong. But here's the big thing that stands in the way. It's called pride. Proverbs 13.1 says, An arrogant person, say it with me, never admits they're wrong. So if you want to just kind of hold it and not say it, what you're, what you're agreeing with the Bible is you're prideful and you're arrogant because you are unwilling to humble yourself. That's the starting place. And I promise you, if that's there, the rest is easy. Here's the second thing. It's the word repentance. Repentance means change. In other words, if you have an ongoing relationship and you did something that's causing problems, duh, stop doing it. Even if it's your right to do it. Because relationships are not about my rights. It's about what's right. Now, that's a fairly easy one, too, if you've got the guts to do it. And if you're married today, I can promise you this. If you want to stay married tomorrow, you've got to regularly practice these things. You've got to have that confession. You have got to have change at work. And here's a third one. It's called restitution, which simply means if you have taken something, given back. If you, have, if you have something that belongs to that person. In this case, Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. You've got to go back home and give part of it back. Now, let me have a little true confession because uh, I think 30 years, the statute of limitations has passed on, on my crime. But let me tell you how this works. When I was in high school in the 12th grade, in the end of football season, I was with uh, three knuckleheads, and I forget what our little club was called, but I guess it was the knucklehead club. And we would systematically steal everything we could from the football team. Now, I know many of you will never come back to this church again. I had in my... Now, we wouldn't sell it. They didn't have eBay back then. We wouldn't sell it. I'd just take it home and put it in the drawer. I have no idea why I was doing it. But what are you going to do with nine pairs of hip pads? You know what I'm saying? The little things. What are you going to do with nine pair after football season is over? I mean, I had just some of everything. I mean, practice... Who's going to use old football practice pants for anything? We just had them. Well, guess what? About a year later, I became a Christian. And guess what was one of the first things I did when I came home from the Navy? I put all that stuff in a box, and I took it back to that coach. And I apologized to him because I had stolen from him. 
Doesn't that kind of make sense? Bring forth fruits of repentance, the Bible tells us. That's what John the Baptist told the guys. And that's, that's where restoration can happen, is when you confess, say it with me, confess, repent, and restore. And God can, can re-hinge relationships. Now, that one's pretty easy. It's not easy to do. It, you have to humble yourself to go bring the stuff back. Come on, you guys are way too quiet now. How many would admit to me that you've stolen something in your life? Come on, let me see your hand. Oh, the cameras are off right now. No policemen are here this morning. All right, okay, okay. The rest of you holy people, what is it? You just have never stolen? Or, or you stole so much you don't want to tell anybody yet? Or you could still go to jail? Or it was last week or last night? Okay, I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you, give it back. And if you can't look at them eye to eye, just go put it on the doorstep or something. But, but you, Christianity is not just a way of thinking. Belief trickles down to behavior, and if it doesn't, it's not genuine Christian belief. Faith without works is... Now, Onesimus, Onesimus is fairly easy to know what to do. This next one is pretty difficult, Philemon, because this guy has some challenges. It's the one who's been wronged. He had a choice to make. He suffered harm. This slave literally belonged to him in their culture by law. Uh, he, he, he could have exacted a pound of flesh here. Now, the Bible gives some instruction to people who've been wronged. And again, this is not intended to be sequential steps as much as it is just sharing some sp scriptural truths that I hope this Holy Spirit will speak to you. Now, the first one, Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to use the word confrontation. If you can take off the harsh connotation, but if you have been wronged by somebody, it simply means this, that you go and talk to them. That you go to the person. Listen to Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus Christ said these words, If another believer sins against you, put it on Facebook. Isn't that in the Bible? Why do you do it then? I'm about to fall out of my chair. I could have a Holy Ghost moment now. Why do we purge ourselves by gossiping? This would have been a good service to stay home on. Isn't it amazing how sooner or later Christianity rubs right where you live? See... Jesus said, if, you're, if a, another believer... Now, it, it, it's a little more complicated if it's a, if it's a non-believer. Sometimes they want to restore. Sometimes they want to shoot you. It's just the world that we live in. But this, this can work both ways. But it must work with Christians. I don't have the right to stay offended at you. I don't have the right to divide and destroy the body of Christ lest I bring God's judgment in my own life. If another believer sins against you, go privately and do what? Point out the offense. And it doesn't say scream at them. It doesn't say, you know, self-righteously bang them to death. It doesn't say threaten them. But when you have kind of prayed through to the point where you can talk to them and say, you know what you did? It hurt me. When you took this from me, when, you, when, when I felt that you lied to me, that you weren't honest with me, when you made a promise to me and didn't keep it, I want to tell you, and it hurt me and it caused me some pain. Now, that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Because here's the wonderful promise. If the other person does what? Listens and... There's where it starts. That's where Onesimus starts. If they confess, what have you done? You have won the person back. And isn't that the goal? To reconcile? We are the body of Christ. We're not a bunch of clans at war with each other. We're supposed to reconcile. It's God's highest and best. But can I tell you this from my heart? It's much easier for me to ignore you or wait for you to come to me. 
You may be way more mature than me, but if you offend me, I, I would much prefer that you talk to me, that you send me a little private note in the Facebook box, okay? If you don't know how to do that, ask your children. But there is a way, it, th th there is a way that you can privately communicate. I would much rather you do it because I'm still hurting and hiding behind the wound. I'm wanting justice. And this is pretty close to justice. I want mercy for me when I mess up, but you, justice. Now, here's the second thing. Go to them first. Here's another one. Matthew 6, Jesus, Jesus taught this one, forgiveness. Now, forgiveness in its most basic sense means to release the offender, turn justice over to God. Now, this contractor that I had to file the, 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 the whatever it was called, the legal issue with, I still forgave him. Forgiveness does not always imply that you don't have legal rights, that you don't pursue certain remedies. But forgiveness, sometimes it does. But forgiveness means that you have turned it over to God, that you've got it off of your, out of your system. Matthew 6, 14. If you don't listen to anything else today, I want you to listen to this. Because this could determine your future. Matthew 6, 14. Jesus Christ said, If you forgive those who sin against you, say it with me, your head... Ooh, how many know that is good? How many, how many know that you need the forgiveness of God? And here's the warning. If you refuse, this is a willful choice. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And can I tell you, that's bad. I've seen Christians all the time. I've watched Christians over time grow dull spiritually, become backslidden in heart. They'll still go to church, but they're just not the same person. And if you dig deeper, sometimes the cause is, is because they harbor unforgiveness towards some person. And it's just like when your kids were little and you washed the hose with the car, and your kids would sneak up and, and kink the hose, and the life flow of that water would stop when you refuse to forgive someone for their wrong. Come on. He has been forgiven much, and that's all of us should freely forgive. And it's so hard to do because we want justice. There's a sense that people should be punished. But how many know we have been forgiven for our sins and God's not punishing us? Can you give him a big hand for that? That's a big one. Now, let me say this. We must forgive whether the relationship is restored or not. Forgiveness is not always synonymous with restoration. Hopefully it will be if the other person will do their part. But you can forgive them even if they don't forgive you. You can forgive them even if they wave their middle finger at you every time they see you. Even if they threaten you and say vindictive things to you in Facebook or wherever it might be, you can still have a heart that's clean and pure. Now, let me tell you something, a lesson that I learned a long time ago. I carried an offense a number of years ago for several years. Someone had done something. I'm a very sensitive person. Um, I, I just am. I have a tender heart, and someone hurt me pretty deep about something, and it was a mature, what I thought was a mature Christian that shouldn't have done it, but they did it. And I can remember cutting my grass for several years, giving them a crew cut every time I'd come. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I was just mad cutting my grass, thinking it would be a relaxing experience and some exercise. I would just be mad, tense, and angry when I got done because all I did is rehearse it in my mind. And I had a pastor in my office one time, and we were talking about forgiveness, and I got so convicted because here's what we told me. He said, basically, when someone hurts you, you, and you don't forgive them, and you start to punish them because they hurt you, what you're doing is you're sinning against them. Can you understand that? Because this is real big. If I don't release you, but if I start punishing you and showing vengeance and vindictive towards you, I'm, I'm sinning against you. And then he said, you have a responsibility to go to the one who hurt you in the first place and ask them to forgive you for the way that you treated them. Do you understand that? I'll say it again if you don't understand it because it's pretty big. 
If I do you wrong after you've done me wrong, I've sinned against you, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. Well, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. And I left my office mad that day. This is a true story. I got home, and my wife had this person in my house. I am telling you the truth. She had them in my house. And it was not a setup. It just kind of happened. Yeah, right. It just, they were there. So I think, okay, God, I get the message. And there was something inside of me thinking that, okay, now finally they're going to apologize to me. So I, this is true. I get home, and there they are, and I humble myself in front of them and my wife and their spouse and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I want to apologize to you for the way I've treated you the last few years. I have been ignoring you, and I have been, because I'm a passive-aggressive, I have been punishing you. I've been withholding love and affection from you because of the way that you treated me. And guess what they said to me? Here's what they communicated. I'm so glad you finally apologized. I didn't get back what I wanted. But I never gave them a crew cut cutting the grass again. Because I turned them over to God and I cleansed my heart from it. I can't control what you'll do to me, but I can control that I respond in a godly fashion. And if you don't get anything else today, get that because it'll keep your heart clear. Come on for the balance of your days. Give the Lord a good hand today. I've got to wrap up. Let me go quick. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. One more thing if you are, if you are Philemon. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Sometimes the mature person must be willing to suffer loss for the sake of the kingdom. Because how many know when we're having a public fight as Christians, the world is looking at us. If we're dividing churches, if we're, if we're you know, it, when it's known as Christian. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Christians are suing one another in secular court. And Paul wrote, these court cases are an ugly blot on your community. That is the community of Christ. Wouldn't it be far better to just take it? Can you say, just take it? And let yourself be wronged and forget it. Now that's a mature Christian. And this, you know where this happens most often? Over money. How many can tell me to the, to the day and the amount when you loan somebody money and they didn't pay it back? Come on, let me see your hand. I've got mine up. Sometimes these conflicts can make us bring it out to the world and the body of Christ gets a black eye. And what Paul is saying, is it possible that you can let the body of Christ be more important than you? Then your rights can be second, come on, to the needs of the body of Christ. And isn't it possible that God can give you back more if you'll respond in a right way? I believe He can. I'm going to wrap it up real quickly. I again, you can be the one who's been done wrong you're Onesimus, the one who did, I'm um, Philemon, the one who's wronged. Uh, ooh, um, anyway, the other one, or you can be Paul the peacemaker. Remember the scripture when Paul said basically, if he's done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me, I'm going to pay it back. Now, remember what Jesus said, and I'm going to quit with this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. The New Living Translation says, God blesses those who work for peace for they're going to be called sons of God. The Message Bible says you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of how to compete and fight. And I'm going to leave you with this thought this morning. You may be the peacemaker to bring two people together because sometimes it takes a third person. You know, we call them in our little modern language an arbiter, but, but sometimes it doesn't take a sophisticated title. It just takes a person that basically will come up motivated by the love of God just to say, you know what? Do you realize that what you did hurt them deeply? 
Do you realize how you made so-and-so feel when you just abandoned them and walked away? Do you realize what happened here to our company when you broke your contract? Do you realize how your children felt when you, you know, have that other woman in your home and you're not even divorced? From... Do you realize what you're doing? And I can say this from experience. 90% of the time, the person will go, no. It's so obvious, but a third-party peacemaker is a valuable, valuable person in life. And I want to suggest to you, sometimes you just need it. Sometimes my, I don't have the ego strength to do what I need to do. I don't have the strength to go to you, to talk to you, to make a confession, to make an apology, to, to restore something. I need somebody to come by my house and, and help me load up the stuff and, and take it back and give it to the coach. Sometimes I just don't have it with me. And that may be a role that God may put you in one day. And I want to encourage you, if he does it, say, yes, Lord. So now, after this message is over, let me remind you what Jesus said. The, 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 when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment in the whole Bible was, what did he say? You know it. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We say it all the time. But then he said the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And can I suggest to you what we're talking about this morning is all second commandment stuff. Loving your neighbor. It involves confession, repentance, restitution, forgiving, taking the wrong. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And this stuff is pretty important to God. And I hope it becomes important to you. So as I close, relationships are complicated. It's pretty easy for me to talk about this now 30 years later. But uh, when I'm laying under my house at 3 in the morning and catching my house on fire, and I'm telling you, cursing that man, it's pretty hard. But God, with this help of the Holy Spirit, can help you get to the other side. And the baggage that we tend to carry in life, you know, rather than locking the suitcase, we can open it up and the Holy Spirit can help us get it out. You can't control what the other person's going to do, but you can control what you do. So my question to you this morning is simply this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What has God put His finger on in your life? Is there someone that you've done wrong, that God has nudged you to go make it right, to make a confession, to make some restitution, to make a change? Has somebody wronged you and you've kind of given them a crew cut for a long time? And you need to release them today. You need to turn them over. To, I can't think of a better time to do it than right now to release them to God. Maybe some people have come to your mind that are separated and in conflict. And maybe you are God's hands extended to restore. I don't know what it is, but we'd love to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to continue to minister to you this morning in a personal way. Here's how we're going to close our service. In just a minute, we're going to have our prayer team come forwards. And there'll be men and women that are here just for you. And they'll take as much time as is needed with you. You can say as little or as much as you want to. It'll be in confidence. For many of you, you need to act on what you heard today. Because how many know the Bible tells us not to be hearers of the Word, but what? Doers. There needs to be just a little step. There's something about coming to a sacred place, the altar of God, and inviting someone else into your world to pray with you. It's a powerful thing. But it doesn't have to be related to the message. I mean, you just may need some help. You may be under some pressure. Uh, there may be sickness in your life. You may be a big decision to be made. It's just a way of including God in your world. Uh, but, but if you need for the Lord to do something, please come this morning for prayer. Uh, all of us need prayer. I sure needed it Tuesday. I'm telling you what, I have a different view of hospitals now. It's my first time to be the one that stayed in the room after the person who came to pray left. You know, everybody needs prayer because we're human beings. But the biggest thing, if I could kind of close it with this. How many know you can, go to, you can go to heaven 
uh, if you're mad at somebody. You can go to heaven if you owe somebody some old football stuff, but you can't go to heaven if your sins have not been forgiven by God. And it doesn't happen automatically. Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago for all of us. But just because he died doesn't give me an automatic entrance into heaven. What opens the door for eternal life for me is that if I come to God and confess my sins, ask for his forgiveness, and commit my life to him. It is a very deliberate choice we make in life to come to the Christ of the cross and ask for forgiveness and ask for a brand new start in life. We can't give that to you, but we can be God's agent to help lead you in a prayer to commit your life to Christ and help you on the next step. So if that's your need this morning, we'd be honored to pray. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. And as you're standing, we're going to sing a song. And our prayer team is going to come to the front, and they are here for you. We're going to sing it through a time or two, and then you'll be free to be dismissed. Oh, someone will dismiss you. But as our prayer team comes, if you need prayer this morning for anything we've talked about, you come and let us pray for you. Listen, I love you, and God bless you, and thanks for being here this morning. Let's sing together. I give you my heart. I give you my soul.